Good morning, good morning. So I have the, I did this, uh, um, this is only probably the third time I've done the preaching of two services. And so the first service, I'm sitting there like, oh, I hope I'm not going too long. I'm not really sure when this is supposed to end. And then right here at the top is the little thing that says, first service ends 10, second service ends 11.45. And I'm like, oh, it's only been there for, you know, a year. And yet I've, today is the first time I discovered it after the service. So uh, if if I miss this and it's, you know, noon, someone start throwing something at me from the front row, but hopefully that, that won't uh, be a problem. But good morning, everyone. Welcome. And I want to uh, just tell you that this is a an exciting time. Now, I'm one of those guys who is always excited that whatever time we're in is exciting. But now it's especially exciting because uh, we don't know after Wednesday whether we'll have a country anymore. I'm glad we got some laughs out of that. I was concerned that some people were like, that's right. We're storming the Capitol. Uh, don't storm the Capitol, please. But we're, our country is kind of in the midst of a, a little bit of a crisis. You know, we, have a, we have a political crisis. We've got a social crisis. Nobody can get along with each other. Um, we have a, a number of, of problems and, and crises moments that we're, that we're in. Well, two things to share with you. Number one is that throughout human history, many, many people have faced crises far worse than what we're dealing with right now. Uh, and secondly, it's not more than God can handle, right? He, he's, he's still king. He's still in charge in heaven, and he still has a plan for his church, and he still has a plan for us to reach the lost, the people who need to hear the salvation message of hope in Jesus Christ. So even though we're in the midst of a crisis, I think it's an opportunity for us as a church to grow and do some exciting things in the name of Jesus. Because ultimately, what is this? It's a spiritual battle. All these things we deal with are spiritual battles. They, they're natural battles. And they, they may have uh, characteristics or attributes of, a, of certainly a healthcare crisis, which none of us should take lightly, or a political battle or whatever. But ultimately, and, and at the beginning point of all these things, it's a spiritual battle. So that's what I want to talk to you about today. And, and I titled this message, Remain. I first titled it, Focus. And then I discovered through the entire message, I didn't say anything about focus. So I thought, well, that's not going to work. Remain. Today, I want to ask you to remain. And what do I ask you to remain? Remain, number one, unified as Christians, unified as a church. Number two, remain uh, committed to the Lord and to your walk of faith in a sinful world. And number three, let's remain focused on Jesus Christ and the kingdom of heaven. So that's, that's what God, I think, is calling us to do through this this crisis and this moment of upheaval and this really, this moment of opportunity that we're living today. This, this, this verse from the Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, this is a, a verse that I think of many, many times when I'm, as a Christian, going, okay, God, what is it you want me to do? And there, there's always uh, different circumstances that we have. There's always different things we're supposed to do. But ultimately, what are we supposed to do? And he's telling us, run with endurance, the race that God's placed before us. And look to Jesus as the author and finisher of our our faith. 
He is not only our inspiration and our focus and our guide as we run this race, but he's the one who gives us that endurance. He's the one that gives us the, the, um, the strength from the Holy Spirit to successfully run that race. So when we ask the question, well, what should the church do? The church should run that race, and the church should focus on what the Word of God says. A lot of our angst, a lot of our anxiety is coming from the fact that there's, we live in a world, we live in a, a sinful world, and a lot of times we've got all these voices coming in that are feeding our anxiety that are not the voice of the Holy Spirit. So first, let's go back to that, that unity as a church that we need. God's called us to love one another. In, when I began this message, I began by reading uh, Romans and uh, First and Second Corinthians. That's really where I spent a lot of time over the, over the last few weeks. And the reason I did that is because we had a lot of, I've had a lot of discussions with, with Christians uh, and, and over arguing and disputing on a couple of what I think are minor things, masks and vaccines. If you're a Christian, should you wear a mask because you're supposed to submit to the civil government authorities, or should you not wear a mask because you're exercising your liberty as a Christian? If you're a Christian, should you uh, take a vaccine because you're a servant to your community and you want to be healthy and therefore make your community healthy, or should you not take a vaccine because you're trusting in God and you're not trusting in this hocus-pocus of modern medicine? Those are not fundamental questions of our faith. Those are not the things that we should let divide the church. The church needs to be unified on Jesus Christ as our Savior. We are his messengers and his servants to reach a lost and dying world. That's what we should unify on. We can fight about other things or preferably not fight about other things, but let's remain unified in that. And let's, re- let's remain unified in love for one another. So the book of Romans, if you look at the book of Romans, the first 10 chapters are uh, very focused on the fundamentals of our faith as Christians, okay? It was, uh, Paul wrote it to the Christian church that was in Rome that was surrounded by a, a pagan environment, right? That was, uh, that was, they had a lot of polytheistic, pagan, uh, spiritual things going on. The, the Christian church was very much the minority. And they also had a government over them that wasn't particularly friendly to the to Christianity. So the first 10 chapters, Paul is explaining and reiterating, we're all sinners. We all need a savior. And uh, we become Christians. We become saved by faith and belief in Jesus Christ. Then you get into the later half of Romans and it's, he's giving instructions on how to live as a Christian and how to function as the church community in this, this sinful world that we live in. So especially chapters 12 through 16 That's a lot of practical advice of how to live as Christians, okay? And he starts with, in 12, let love be genuine, abhor evil, hold fast to that which is good, love one another with brotherly affection. And look at this last sentence. Isn't this last sentence amazing? Outdo one another in showing honor. This is in verse 9. I'm not going to go all the way through verse 21. Read that on your own, but it's, it's, it's really rich. So outdo one another in showing honor. That is not something that... Uh, our current arguments, political discourse, uh, discourse, Facebook wars, that's not something that we're known for, is it? We're known for outdoing each other in insults and some of these other arguments, but let's, why don't we change? Why don't we focus on, let's, be, let's outdo each other in showing honor and brotherly love toward one another. That would be exciting. And then First John, 
He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. There's a, a song that uh, was the old King James that we learned when we were little that uh, Rebecca wants to sing. Do you want to sing for us? Never mind. <laughs> She's like, what? <laughs> but it, it's, Beloved, let us love one another, and, and it goes on from there. It, and that's, that's a continual message of, of John. John's very much a, a big believer in love. And in the Gospel of John, that's what Jesus said and his disciples. He said, that's how people will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. Okay? So we need to be unified in love. Now, we're unified in love, focused on, uh, on that commandment, focused on our identity in Christ. Now we get into some difficult territory, some territory that requires mature, thoughtful, wise, and grace-filled conversations and living with each other. Go to Romans chapter 14 in your spare time and take a look at that. Here's what was going on in Romans chapter 14, and also in the book of 1 Corinthians talks about this as well. There were disputes within the church over different customs and different practices and, and eating. I'll talk about that in more detail in terms of how these Christians lived their lives as Christians. Some of them had or were Jews who had come out of Judaism and had been saved, some of whom felt that we still had to follow the law, we, we couldn't eat unclean things under, under the law, pork, for example, where others said we're clean or, or these things are clean and we're free from the, the restrictions of the law and therefore we can eat things that formerly we could not. That created a dispute within the church. There were also people who had come out of a pagan polytheistic religion where they, people habitually offered food to idols or sacrifices to idols, and then they would consume it. And so what Paul says here is, is we know that these, we know, number one, and he, this is a, lot, a very fundamental part of, of the New Testament expansion of the church to the Gentiles. We know that God has declared these things clean. We're no longer under the law. And he also opened up his promise to all the earth, not just the Jewish people, okay? So as for the, as for the people that had grown out of Judaism, he says the, the promise of God is open to all people. For people who had come out of a, a pagan religion, he said, we know that these false gods have no power of themselves. We know they're not real gods. We know they're just a stone or a wooden image that someone created. So they don't have any spiritual authority over you, and food offered to them has no spiritual authority over you. If you can eat that food with a clean conscience knowing that, go ahead and eat it. If, however, you are coming out of that world and you are struggling and the Holy Spirit's working on you to break the bondage from that prior life, don't eat that food. Follow your conscience, okay? Secondly, if you are a believer and you personally are not bothered by either of those issues, but your fellow believer is struggling with those things, then don't eat that food so that you don't cause them to stumble or you don't cause them to be offended, now, this is a pretty weighty spiritual issue. Now, let's back up and say, in today's world, do we have things that we're fighting about that are not about the central truth of our faith, which is Jesus Christ is the Son of God and our Savior? We're fighting about political issues. We're fighting about masks. We're fighting about vaccines. We're fighting about um, you name it. 
If, in fact, that's what you're fighting about, then you're missing the point of what his instruction is. His instruction is, let your individual conscience be your guide on those things. Do not judge your fellow believer over them. Do not make the, allow those things to create a division in the church. And if you're insert, asserting your rights on whatever it may be, and it's going to cause your fellow believer to stumble or be offended, then don't assert your rights. Out of deference and grace toward them, refrain from doing something that will, call, call, that will cause your fellow believer to stumble. That takes a lot of grace, a lot of maturity, and a lot of love. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. So if we're committed to each other, let's not do, which I've done from time to time, despite the best wise advice from my, my, my wife, I've occasionally gotten into arguments on Facebook or in person on things that are not about the central truth of Jesus Christ. I shouldn't be getting in those arguments. I certainly shouldn't be getting in those arguments with fellow believers. And so I'm preaching to myself on this. But for God's best for us is to be unified around the central things that are his truth. And then Paul says, leave those other things to their individual conscience. That's between them and God. But if you're doing something that's causing them to stumble, take that moment to exercise grace, maturity, and servanthood, and then abstain from those things so it doesn't cause your fellow believer to stumble. And that's not easy. Just so you know, this is, this is not easy. But the reason we do that is because, look at Romans chapter 14. We will all stand before the judgment seat of God and give an account of ourselves. Because there's, there's two judgments, right? There's the judgment of, of, first of all, are you a believer in Christ? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? But then there's another judgment where we as Christians, even though we're in heaven, we stand before God and we give an account as to uh, our actions and our service of the Lord, okay? And so he's saying, ultimately what it comes down to is if you're having a problem with food offered to idols, if you're having a problem with uh, pork, if you're having a problem with masks, if you're having a problem with uh, which political party you vote for, whatever, ultimately that is going to be a matter of your conscience between you and your account to the great high, most high God. But let not that become the reason for the church to be divided and fight with each other. And why do we have to stay unified? Why do we have to stay strong? Because we live in a sinful world. Because we're a small minority of warriors for Christ surrounded by a bunch of people who need Christ but are hostile towards him. So we have to remain committed in a sinful world. Now, as I alluded to, there's all this, this, this angst that's going on among some people about what exactly is going to happen with political stuff and the rulers and all that and and you know did God permit did God permit the last president to win did God permit the the, the new president to win and uh, I, I was preparing for this I listened to a three sermon series that my brother preached up in Great Falls uh, and he finished it before election day it was called Thriving in Babylon and he finished it the Sunday before election day he said so he said whoever wins, whoever's in charge of our government, remember, God's in charge. And he was focused on Daniel. Now, remember what happened with Daniel. Look at the very beginning of the book of Daniel. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. 
and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. Wait, God let the bad guys win. See that? Babylon's, Babylon's the symbol of sin in the human world. That's always been since the beginning. The Tower of Babel all the way to Jerusalem, to Revelation, Babylon is that concentration of human evil in the world. It's a symbol constantly referred to throughout the Bible. God let Babylon not only defeat Judah, but look at this next part. Let them carry away sacred vessels from the temple and bring them to their false god in his temple. That is an abomination. Remember what happened when the Ark of the Covenant was captured uh, in the days of, I guess it would have been Eli died and Samuel was becoming a, a, um, a priest or a judge. And before Saul was king, they captured the Ark of the Covenant. They took it away. They placed it in the, in the room of a false god. And in the morning, that false god's image had, had been broken and was down on its face before the Ark of the Covenant because, uh, because the Ark was sacred to God. And here, he's allowing this abomination to happen for his own purposes. Daniel's one of the people that got carried away in the captivity. He, he lived in Babylon. He became an advisor to the king. He was promoted. He, he actually thrived in, in Babylon, but he continued to serve God and actually was, was often uh, persecuted because of it. And he did it not because he had this, uh, some kind of a, um, a deal with God of, hey, if you do the, if you, do the you know, take care of me, I'll, I'll serve you. He did it thinking he's never going to return. In fact, he didn't return even when the exile ended. He, he's doing it not knowing whether he'll be slain, but he's trusting in God anyway. So think we're, we think we're in a bad spot. These guys, Daniel and his fellow captives, were in a really bad spot. And yet he remained committed in that sinful world. He remained committed to God. And so 1 John chapter 2. So if you wanted to just skip my message, just read 1 John, 1 Peter, Romans and 2 Corinthians, and uh, that's pretty much what I tried to condense into this 35-minute period of time here. But in 1 John chapter 2, he says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. And if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that man is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So the world's passing away, but we know we are living in a place where we're kind of the small minority and people that are around us, if they're not Christians, they're going to be hostile. If they're hostile to God, they're going to be hostile to us if we're in fact living uh, for the Lord. And, and those, those three general categories of sin, the, the, slightly paraphrased here, the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those are the tend to be the three big categories of sin that human beings struggle against, okay? So he's saying basically all of this sin is not only from Satan, but also that it's from this world that is hostile to God. And you, the world's going to hate you. He goes on to say, don't be surprised that the world hates you. And then he goes on to say in 1 Peter, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord as holy. You will suffer. I think, I think maybe we've got more suffering ahead of us, truthfully. Um, but you will suffer. And you look back through history, human, Christians have suffered. They've suffered for their faith. 
they've suffered for, whether that's against the government, whether that's simply because they had hostile uh, neighbors, or whether because they, uh, by serving the Lord, they actually sacrificed something else that they wanted. But don't be surprised about suffering. It's going to come and embrace it. Why do we embrace it? Because this fiery trial, this is First Peter chapter 4, when it comes upon you, don't act like something strange is happening. Look at the second sentence. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. So if you're insulted for the name of Christ, then, then, then rejoice. But don't suffer because you're a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a meddler. So if you're locked up in jail because you're a Christian, there's going to be a bunch of us sitting right there in that cell with you. If you're locked up in jail because you decided to storm the Capitol and steal something out of Nancy Pelosi's office, that, you don't do that in the name of Christ. That's just against the law, and, and you're going to get whatever lumps are coming to you. Although I do love that picture. I mean, he's just like, look what I got. Anyway, so... <clears throat> So, do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Our outer self is, is, is going to just wither away, isn't it? But this life that we're living, where we as a Christian are coming through a sinful world, we're growing on the inside. We're being renewed day by day on the inside. Because this, no matter how bad it is, it's light and it's momentary affliction. Think about the guy who wrote this. The guy that wrote this uh, had been beaten. He had been stoned. He had been thrown into prison. He ultimately was killed because he was Christian and because of his faith. And he's saying that is light, momentary affliction. And what we're setting up for is we are going to enjoy an eternal weight of glory because we are following God and because he's he's going to not only restore our body, but he's going to reward us for those things in heaven. We're not doing this for rewards. We're doing this out of adoration for the Lord and to fulfill his purpose. But the suffering that we may experience now, the persecution, the disapproval, it might be something as simple, you know, it might be something very minor, like someone just says, oh, well, you're crazy. Okay, that's fine. I'm crazy. If I'm, if I'm crazy in Jesus, then, you know, just keep it on. Keep it on. And why does that matter? Because through all this, we're actually fighting a spiritual battle. All this, all the turmoil that our country's in right now, uh, number one, it could get a lot worse. And it has gotten a lot worse in American history. But keep in mind that this book is not written to just Americans, is it? This book is not just written to the year 2021. He wrote this book, and he wrote Romans to the church in Rome, that they went on to suffer persecution. Christians went on in various times throughout the rest of the Roman Empire to suffer serious, serious persecution. And they were often uh, offered the opportunity to have their wealth and their position restored and to be set free if they denounced the faith. And some did and some didn't. And then there were great divisions in the church later on what to do with those who did. But many of them, many of them refused to denounce their faith and they were killed because of it, because they understood this was temporary. This is not our home. So then you go to, go to Italy and realize that from 70 AD, or you know, pick, pick a time, 
on, there have been many governments that have risen and fallen, and, and they have a different form of government now. Realize that all throughout uh, the world, wherever anyone has read the Word of God, anyone that has believed in God, they may have been under a totally different political system. They may have been under a, a revolution. They may have been on, under a stable, prosperous government, whatever it might be. Those are all temporary. Kingdoms of this world will pass away. This kingdom of the world may pass away. I mean, I don't, United States, we might. We might end as a country in our lifetime as, as we know it. And if we do, Jesus Christ will still be king. And if we do, we will still serve our Savior. And if, it, if America ends, whatever comes after it, the people that live there will need a Savior, and they'll need to hear from us about that Savior and about the hope that we have. So while we're, in, while we're here, in our body and away from the Lord, that is not our final destination. We are focused on, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, our heavenly dwelling. And then Hebrews. So if you want to go to Hebrews at some point, look at the end of Hebrews chapter 11. Now Hebrews chapter 11, for the majority of it, is called the Heroes of Faith chapter. And he's talking about all these great people that came before in the Old Testament. Not necessarily great. Many, most, you know, they were all sinners in some way. But in their walk with God, they had a hope in God. They had faith in God, and they had a trust in a future Messiah, a future Redeemer. And they didn't live to see him. We have lived to now see and know who is our Savior. It is Jesus. And yet, all those people who came before and who trusted in God, it says here in Hebrews chapter 11, they understood they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They all hoped for a future kingdom, a better country, a new city, meaning a heavenly one that was their final destination. And that's what this is about. This is not our home. This is, we are not living and will not live in eternity in the United States of America. We will live in heaven if we are believers in Jesus. And along the way, we have to continue to fulfill our mission. So look at 1 Peter chapter 3. This is in the midst of him talking about how people are going to persecute you and people aren't going to like you and all these things are going to happen. And he says right in the middle of it, verse 15, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So in the midst of all that, why are you so happy? Why are you so hopeful? Because I have a reason to hope. My reason to hope is Jesus Christ. Even these people, if you go on to the next verse, the next verse he says, basically they, they may despise you and they may reject it. But even in that time, if they do, they're rejecting Jesus. They're not rejecting you. Don't take it personally. But continue to express your hope in Jesus and do it with gentleness and respect. Because every one of the people who may be around you that are maybe hostile to God, they're going through their own spiritual struggle. They're going through their own uh, seeking for uh, something to fill that hole that's on the inside of every one of us. That's the need for a Redeemer. And each of those who may be hostile today may become, uh, the, the truth may be revealed to them tomorrow and may in fact then become a believer. You may be the messenger that brings that hope to them. So we have to continue in that mindset at all times. <clears throat> so what do we do? First Peter says, hey, 
continue on with the work. Elders, shepherd the flock. Church, remain united. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Cast your cares and your anxieties upon Jesus, for he cares for you. And Peter, was, Peter wrote this to a church that was going through all the probably trials that were far greater than ours, and he's saying the key here is to remain united. Now, we have a battle. We will fight a battle. We'll continue, we are fighting a battle, and we will always be fighting a battle, but it'll be primarily and foremost a spiritual battle. And I've preached this many times uh, here and in other teachings, that the key, the number one rule to spiritual warfare is never fight alone. You must fight, number one, with, with your knowledge of Christ and with the Holy Spirit. But secondly, you have to fight with others around you, a unified support group of believers to engage in any spiritual battle because the battle is going to be there continually. And it's a battle first against Satan. In 1 Peter chapter 5, this, is, this whole discussion, like I said, read four, those four books of the Bible, and, and that's what I tried to distill today. But he's saying, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You need to resist him. You need to be firm in your faith and know that the same kinds of suffering that you're experiencing are being experienced by the brotherhood throughout the world. We are not alone in this. We're a minority here. Christians are a minority probably throughout the world, but that's okay. I mean, this isn't a popularity contest. We are here to spread the news of the salvation of Jesus Christ. And if we suffer, if we are uh, in pain, we're sharing the same thing that believers throughout the world are. Now, I'm I'm not giving us this message of get ready for the tribulation and, you know, uh, all you know, prepare for the underground church and all those things. Because we're not at that point today. I don't know if we'll be at that point today, but we may be at that point. <clears throat> but through all this, if, if we go through ups and we go through downs, we go through uh, social, political, health, whatever it might be, uh, catastrophes in this country, or if we're serving, we have friends or supporters or missionaries around the world that are going through it in other places in the world, in all those things... We have to keep perspective. We cannot allow the anger, the division, the arguments, all the picking sides of the world that we live in to become our primary uh, focus of how we identify. Because when that happens, and like I said, I've been guilty of this myself with some of the political banter and things that I've engaged in. When that happens, and, and that becomes our our, we're going to pick sides, we're going to pick teams on those other things that are, that are not based on Jesus Christ, then we're going to end up creating division within the church. Division based on all these other non-essential categories. We cannot have the church divided on those things, and therefore we're not united to carry out our mission, our mission of reaching a lost and dying world. So back to the matters of conscience. I would urge all of us, and, I'm, and, and again, this is me too, I would urge all of us to, to examine a couple things. What, what really do I believe God is calling me to do in terms of serving my home, my family, my community, my church, my place of work? The, where you live is your mission field, and you are a missionary. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you are a missionary to the mission field in which you live. And in doing that, is my mission field 
seeing me as a messenger of Christ or as a messenger of some other thing. I'm not saying separate yourself from the world. In fact, opposite. I'm saying we should be living in the world, reaching the world, but being defined by our identity in Christ, not our identity in some other group, especially when that identity in the other group is causing us to fight and be divided with other Christians. This, this home church is a place where we want to be unified on our belief in Jesus Christ, our faith in uh, how he is working in us, and our mission to build disciples and then to spread the gospel to the world. We need to be unified in that. I don't expect everyone in this place to agree on political party, on whether to wear a mask, on whether to get a vaccine, on uh, we could probably pick 10 other things. But we need, there isn't a requirement in the Bible that I see for us to be forced to agree on all those things. And and by making that our uh, point where we're going to argue with other Christians, then we're going to lose our unity of reaching the world for Jesus Christ. So years ago, we watched. We were actually had a conference here in um, at Mount Helen. I think we we're in the other building, and we had a couple from Wales, Swansea, Wales, that came and, and taught. And Jr. told me their name last mess time, and I already forgot it. Julian and Julia and Sarah Richards. So this one afternoon session, they asked us to everybody come in and watch this movie, and it was it was a movie called The Village. Uh, and it was a kind of a thriller, whatever movie. The director M. Night Shyamalan, who does a lot of weird movies. Great movie. The point of the movie was that this group of people had been really wounded and harmed by society. So they had decided to basically create a, an enclave, a village, that was away from the modern world. And they had created an artificial environment, and they'd put these, uh, these various barriers in place to try and stay away from the world. And then they had, as they raised their children, they told them all these basically uh, boogeyman bedtime stories to keep the children from wandering outside the village to interact with the world. And they were, in fact, living in some secluded area in 20th, 20th century America. We as a church can't live that way. We cannot say, this world is so rotten, we're going to go ahead and just create a little bunker, a little community away from everyone else, so we have order and peace and quiet. That's not at all a fulfillment of the Great Commission. Jesus said, go into all the world. So we are, we're in the world. We need to remain in this world. We need to go into the world, but go into the world on God's business, not, go, not bring the world's business into the church and create divisions within the church. And, and perhaps that's what I'm trying to get to. Because ultimately, when we, when we look at this verse here, returning to Hebrews chapter 12, he is saying, we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses, right? And we could talk a lot about what that means. I think it refers to probably heavenly witnesses, and I think it probably refers to witnesses on earth that are watching us. <clears throat> Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And I think that we carry a lot of extra weight we don't need to as Christians. Let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And we're going to look to Jesus as the author and finisher of our faith in order for that to be fulfilled. When we do so, I think what I think it's going to allow us to do is, number one, honor each other, pray for one another, love one another, 
And I even after, after first service, I was talking to somebody, and we weren't going to agree on something, and I said, that's the point. We don't need to agree on this. We need to agree that Jesus Christ is our Savior. We're committed to supporting each other in that. We don't need to agree on this other, other thing. And, and I'm not going to, just like the food being offered to idols, that was, a, that was a very weighty spiritual thing compared to a lot of the things that divide us today. I'm, not, I'm going to tell you, trust your conscience, and as the Holy Spirit speaks to you, I'm not going to judge you, and I'm intentionally going to not do anything that's going to cause you to stumble. If I'm aware of something that will cause you to stumble, I'm going to refrain from that because I want to honor you and I want to support you in your walk with God. And then I want us to be unified and be supportive of each other, equipping each other so we can reach our friends and neighbors who are in this battle, but they don't have the hope that we have. They don't have the hope of a savior. And we are the messengers to bring that hope to them. And I want us to be able to conduct that business every day and do it in a way where we grow and we grow in strength and unity, and we grow in really success of reaching people who need Jesus. So remain unified as a church. Remain committed to your walk with Christ in a sinful world, and remain focused on Jesus Christ and his kingdom rather than our own. Corey. Thank you, Corey. I really appreciate you and your preparedness, and uh, I, I really appreciate your message that you brought us today. Thank you very much for uh, joining us here uh, today and celebrating with us. We wish you a great week and look forward to seeing you next Sunday. If you have kids in Children's Church, you can check them out. There will also be a prayer team available up here. If you would like to uh, pray with someone, that's what they're available for. Have a great week.